welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. I have a great guest for you today. He is a Strong Towns member and city councilor in Bothell, Washington. But he's not someone who's been dreaming of running for office since he was a kid or anything. For Mason Thompson, it all started because he wanted some bike trails in the local park. That led him to the park board and eventually to an elected official inviting him to think about running for office. Mason is someone who has said yes to his community. He's been a lifelong resident of Bothell and he's dedicated to making it a better place for everyone. That means really listening to residents and their concerns and seeking out the voices that aren't often present in public decision-making. It also means running a nonpartisan campaign where Mason focused on land use and transportation issues as an entry point that he knew everybody could get behind. Everyone cares about the way their environment feels and looks and how they get around, how much it costs, he says, and that was a good way to start a conversation with his fellow Bothalites. In this interview, Mason shares his journey to running for office, among other things, the family motto that he invites everyone to think about using, and also we have a fun tangent about the awesome power of electric bikes. So enjoy the interview. Mason Thompson, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's it's good to be here. I, I subscribe to the podcast and it's fun to uh, get asked to show up on something you enjoy listening to. Oh, well, great. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your community um, in Bothell, Washington? And maybe also, have you always lived there or um, if not, what led you to move there? Well, um, Bothell is a, it's a suburb of Seattle. We're, you know, half an hour or so outside of downtown Seattle. There's about a little shy of 50,000 people that live here. I grew up just outside of city limits. Um, and it's funny, when I, when I bought the house I live in now, it was also just outside city limits, but then got annexed in 2014. Um, okay. So I didn't fall very far from the nest. I enjoy the area. I've never had a desire to move away. And and now I have small kids and my parents live close by and I'm not moving away from grandparents. Nice. So for people that aren't familiar with Bothell, you know, when people hear the word suburb, they picture probably, you know, cul-de-sacs and strip malls. Is Bothell like that in the, the typical suburb sense or is it more like a small town feel in terms of its relation to Seattle? I mean, kind of both. Um, you know, we have it, we're we're super lucky. We have a small pre-war downtown with a nice grid. We even have it's funny. We have one block of like zero lot line. You know, no parking on the street. Like just a really cool downtown, and we preserve and protect that, and we love it, and we think we're so lucky to have it. While at the same time making it functionally like against the law to build that anywhere else in the city. Outside of that downtown, though, we are more just car dependent sprawl. I mean, we've got strip malls, we've got cul-de-sacs, everything you just mentioned. And Bothell's seen a ton of change. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, I'm 42, there was a a hitching rail downtown. In in fairness, I I never saw a horse there, but it it existed. Um, (laughs) You know, and a lot of our residents moved here when it was really rural. And they've seen it progress from a small rural community to a full-blown suburb. And and now we're in the process of urbanizing certain parts of town. There's a significant contingent around here that, you know, probably just like every city, like they like the way that it was in 1989 better. And there's pushback to change because they're they're chasing something that existed 30 years ago. 
So what inspired you to get involved in local issues and eventually local government? You know, I wish this was like a more, you know, completely honorable answer. Um, The first step was I live pretty close to a city park that the city was doing a master plan for. And I had a a prior council member knock on my door one day just saying, hey, like we're we're doing a master plan. You live right here. We'd love to have your feedback, which I thought was super cool. Um, I told her I will absolutely vote for you. And she's like, I'm not running again. So I I got involved in that process with the Parks Department, and that was really my first taste. And at the same time, the city had just bought an old golf course um, to turn into a city park. And I thought there should be mountain bike trails there. And, you know, figured if I joined the Parks Board, I'd at least have access to the conversation and kind of decided to see, like, hey, can I make mountain bike trails happen here if if I put my mind to it? So um, I did that. And like, I kind of joke that my mountain bike hustle has gotten completely out of hand. I'm not sure if it's going really well or really poorly, but it's, it's going. There's a part of getting involved that just had to do with the general political state of the country in 2017. Rather than just complain on social media, like I wanted to do whatever I could to make the world a better place. And, you know, we all have different capacity and we can all do different things. And um, what I could do was join the parks board. And, and I felt just getting involved in civil engagement uh, to do whatever I could was, was really important. Yeah. I love that you turned to local action when you're frustrated with national political discourse. That's really powerful. Well, there's not much I can do to change the national political discourse, but as it turns out, like, I can do things around here. Yeah. So you were on the parks board and then what was the process to deciding to run for city council? Um, I mean, quite simply, I was asked. Um, I, this was, this was not part of my life plan, like at all. Um, and I got a phone call one day, actually it was the, it was the morning of my grandmother's funeral, oddly enough. And um, the deputy mayor at the time called me and asked me to talk about running for the spot the former mayor was stepping down from. One thing led to another, and, you know, here I am. Um, The campaign was tough. Honestly, it was really hard. Um, I was this random dude from the parks board who'd been there for nine months. It's not like I'd been around and involved forever. And I drew an opponent that had owned a popular restaurant on Main Street for 30 years who, you know, had enough personal wealth to self-fund with a great campaign consultant, had really great name recognition, super involved with the chamber. You know, my opponent had every built-in advantage, and I knew that if I wanted to actually win, my only path forward was just to work really hard. So I did and basically spent every free second from filing week until election night, knocking on doors and talking to people because that's that's what I had. <laughs> and it's funny, um, that and all of her advantages, I like functionally resulted in a tie. And I feel like I won the coin flip. Uh, my race, um, I won by five votes. Oh, wow. OK, that's local politics right there. That's local politics. Um And, you know, there were two separate hand recounts. I didn't actually get confirmation that I won until the middle of December. And, you know, there's a lot to not like about that process, but it's really fun to be able to like look square in the eyes of anybody who did anything for your campaign and say, you know, I couldn't have done this without you. And 
absolutely mean it. It's good and bad. I would not recommend the like ballot chasing multiple hand recounts an extra month and a half in your campaign, but there's, there's, I guess, good things. Yeah. Give me the choice to do that again. uh, And I would not take it. Like I'd much rather like have a really comfortable election night and be able to drink some champagne, but um, that's not the hand that I was dealt. And there's, there's good things about this hand too. What are some of the things that you've been working on now that you're in office? I mean, fundamentally just trying to do the same thing I did when I got started, which was to make the world a better place. Uh, But most of it is around land use and transportation. You know, land use and transportation are the two things that we really have a, a lot of control over at the local level. And they're the two things that are causing a lot of the big picture problems that we see in the world. And they're also difficult to change. So, I mean, really fundamentally what I try to do involves a lot of that um, and a lot of things that, you know, Chuck talks about and, and Strong Towns talks about. I know that you are someone that bikes regularly, and I'm guessing that also plays into your thoughts on transportation. What is that like to be, uh, I don't know if you're like a bike commuter, but like in a lot of communities across America, biking is not the norm. I know I've experienced that in my city of Milwaukee too. If you show up at a place and you're like, oh, I biked here. It's like, well, that's weird. What, how is that in Bothell? Is there is there growing interest in bike infrastructure? You know, Yes. Um, and, and I am not sure how much of that growing interest in bike infrastructure is simply like confirmation bias among people I select as friends. Like, I mean, you know, I ride bikes, my friends ride bikes. We have a, you know, we, we enjoy it. I don't really consider myself a cyclist. Like I don't really bike recreationally a ton, but I have a, an electric cargo bike that I can throw both my kids on and go to the grocery store in. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, Ask me about that. I'll, I'll talk for a whole podcast about that. Nobody will listen to it, but man, I'll have fun. Uh, I mean, basic plug for the e-bike uh, doorbelling. You know, when you're canvassing areas, man, long driveways are no problem. And you save a ton of time in between houses. You get to talk to people at the end of those long driveways that have never had anybody talk to them before. And it doesn't take you, you know, three or four minutes to walk up and back. Um, you're also, you know, less tired at the end of the day. You're not sweaty and awkward when you show up at somebody's door. I, I think anybody that runs for office should buy an e-bike the second they file. Yeah. Good tip. And you can like stick all your pamphlets in the cargo area. Totally. Um, yeah, just put a bag on the back. You've got everything with you. You can throw a jacket in there. You can plan for different weather. You can put lunch in the back. Like, I mean, you can take everything with you. Just, just like if you were driving a car around. This is very helpful. I'm I'm thinking about e-bike for some time in the future, not immediately, but uh, I'm I'm very interested. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and try to talk you into it for a second. Then um, there's this idea that e-bikes are cheating, and that's crap. Like they are enabling. You know, I am not in the best shape in the world. There is no way I would throw both my kids in the back of an analog bike and ride down the hill to town and then have to ride up the hill back. But throw a small electric motor on there. And now I'm getting some exercise. I'm out in the wind and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying it. Like I get to, I get to get around in a way that other people like do for fun. It's a recreational activity, but I get to do that instead of sitting in traffic. So. um, I'm, I'm convinced. I know that like the price tag is not, uh, it's certainly more expensive than a regular bike, but it's way cheaper than a car. So. 
I mean, yeah. think about the ongoing cost too. I mean, you know, you don't have to buy gas for it. It doesn't randomly break down. Actually, this is not something I was planning on talking about today, but this like crystallized for me when I was running. Um, I had, I don't know, something happened to my car while I was running and I was in a Firestone, a little, you know, the shop down the road. And there was um, a young lady that was on the phone and I was walking past. I wasn't sitting listening to her whole conversation. But as I walked past, I heard her say, I mean, she's, she's in tears. And she says, it's going to cost $700. I never should have bought this car. I don't have that. And my heart broke because this is functionally the only way that we let her get around. And the cheaper of a car that you buy, if you can't afford you know, a new fancy car, they break down and they cost money on an ongoing basis. And if you don't have it, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, she's not going to be able to buy an e-bike. I mean, you're going to spend three hours a day between walking and busing because we don't allow for that in our system. Um, and, and boy, I would love to have that change down the road. Yeah. Are there small ways that you've been able to um, make some changes or start to make changes around transportation in your city? Uh, kind of, you know, I've, um, my race was 2019 and my first month on city council was January of 2020. And I feel like I went to a handful of council meetings and then the entire world like blew up in a giant mushroom cloud. So, you know, the last couple of years have been less about like, what are the amazing things that you want to do? And more about just kind of plugging holes in the dam and trying to keep things together and trying to not go too far backwards. Um, you know, our, our budget in Bothell is not in a great place. So we had to lay 14 people off pretty much straight away when COVID hit, because we had no idea what was going to happen to our revenues. We're kind of living on the edge and um, it's, it's been more of a, what do you want to sacrifice than what do you want to do? Um, that being said, we are working on a bike plan this year and there was recently some um, law passed at the state level that is going to mean there's a lot more money available for uh, active transportation infrastructure. So, uh, you know, our staff is working on trying to make sure that we have actionable things that we can go ask the legislature for money for um, as, as part of a bike plan. And I've, I've obviously been involved with, you know, our public work folks talking about that. And I'm excited about that this this year. But that's not a that's not something I can point to and say I did that. It's just you know like a lot of other things, it's in progress. How did you get connected with Strong Towns, and how long have you been yeah reading Strong Towns? I, I mean, confession is I knew so little about this when I got asked to run. I mean, I was I was new. Uh, you know, I'd I'd worked in the bike industry for a long time, and I'd ridden bikes around. So like I was already pretty well acquainted with how much we genuflect to cars in our built environment. So it was kind of a, kind of a logical step. I, I knew there was a big housing shortage. I had like some big picture understanding, but uh, I met Carrie Westerbeck um, right at the time I was filing and getting ready to run. He was starting a group called uh, BOPOP, Bothelites for People Oriented Places. He and Strong Towns taught me a ton about those, you know, a ton about the built environment. And basically gave me a way to speak to people in my community about the things they care about. Because as it turns out, everything, when you go knock on a bunch of doors and people tell you what's wrong with the city, 
everybody cares about the built environment. They just don't realize it yet. Um, so um, he really he really kind of uh, gave me that framework to talk to people about the things they care about. You know, city council is a nonpartisan position, nom- nominally. Um, if you go knock on a lot of doors, I don't think there's any elected office in the country that's really nonpartisan at this point in time. But I was new and being the sweet summer child that I was, um, I really wanted to run a nonpartisan race. Um, I also really like you have to tell people the truth. Like I, I've lived here my whole life. Being on city council is not worth like damaging your reputation in your hometown forever. Um, and using the built environment really gave me a way to speak to people of all political stripes. You know, I could tell a Democrat that I favored a built environment that took way less energy, was way better for the environment, and would allow for not just more housing, but more affordable housing types. And I could talk to somebody who was a Republican that, and tell them fundamentally, I think that you should have more freedom to do what you want with your property with less restrictive government regulation telling you what you can or can't do. And either way, I'm telling them the truth. I'm just telling them the truth in a language they can understand um, because you're not going to convince anybody of anything if you can't speak to them in a language they understand. What I love about the Strongstown's message isn't, isn't, I guess, the nonpartisan nature of it, uh, because my take on what Chuck does is that he takes traditional conservative values and applies them in a way that meets the policy outcomes that you see people on the left asking for. So I can talk about values or I can talk about outcomes. Um, either way, I'm telling the truth. And, and I think that's super important. I love that. You've started to touch on this, but I want to ask more specifically, um, doing like real honest community engagement and really listening to residents is um, an important theme at Strong Towns and kind of a topic that we've been um, talking about and trying to help people think about and understand better for the last several years. How have you been able to really connect with residents and listen to their needs and concerns um, in your time in office, especially during COVID, which I know makes connecting challenging? Yeah. You know, I think that it's really important to connect with the people that don't traditionally connect to government. You know, the people that the system leaves behind don't show up to council meetings and and give their two cents. Um, you know, we had um, in the middle of 2020, um, George Floyd was killed and there was, uh, I mean, quite a bit of local advocacy around that. We really saw that explode all over the country. I reached out to people that were organizing for that. And I wanted to know who they were, what they were doing and how we could get them more involved and how we could hear from people that we don't always hear from. You know, the, the people that we hear from lean, I mean, old, wealthy, and white. I mean, they, they bought a house in 1979, and they wish that the world were still the same way that it was then because they've seen a ton of change and they haven't liked it. You know, the, the people that we don't hear from, they live here just as much as the people that we do hear from. Um, 
So, and, I mean, and, and we have actually one of those folks that I reached out to is, uh, is, you know, running for council this year. He's up by a hundred votes right now, 99, I think trying to find people, um, that you don't always hear from. Cause, cause honestly, the people that you don't always hear from, um, they're the people that are generally more ideologically aligned with me. And they're the people that are more interested in seeing the world change. The people that, uh, we traditionally hear from are the people that don't want it to change and, I am fundamentally a change agent. So I want to talk to the people who need that change and I want to get them involved too. Yeah, that's great. What are some of the results um, that you've accomplished and or collaboratively worked on with your fellow um, government leaders that you're most proud of? Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, like I said earlier, it's been an interesting year because so much of it has been about, you know, not losing things. Um, you know, what do we want to cut? Cause we were already broke. As I look back on the year, there, there are a couple things that we've gotten done that I'm super proud of. I'm really excited. We, we had Joe Minicozzi from urban three come out and present to our council. I sponsored a budget amendment to do that. Um, along with, uh, Davina Dewar's on our council as well. I really wanted to get that done before our next comp plan update, which is coming up in a couple of years. So I'm super pumped that we're going to have that information available to us um, when we do our comp plan. You know, we pedestrianized a block of our traditional main street, the one block we have in town that we try to protect. And it's been that way for over a year now. And at a candidate forum, uh, like a month ago for the folks that are running this year, every single candidate said it should stay permanent. Um, the community absolutely loves it and I don't think it's going back. So I, I am super pumped about that. We also have another block that we're going to purchase bollards for that we can temporarily close. You know, we have done music in the park as a, as a thing. We hire bands and we bring them into play and we get between 300 and a thousand people, depending on the band, you know, come down and check it out. Well, we do this traditionally in the middle of a baseball field that's in a closed business park on a Friday night. So like we take all of these people and we take them to a closed office park. That seems dumb to me. So um, we are going to change that and we're going to do music in the plaza and we're going to have the band play on the city hall plaza. Um, we're going to close a block, do a Friday night market, bring some food trucks in and basically just turn Friday nights into a party in downtown Bothell. And like, I want it, like, I, I'm super, I mean, I'm super excited about this because I've been chasing like the, you know, the, the South of Spain Plaza experience where everybody in town comes in on Friday nights and hangs out that we don't have the public space for in this country because we gave it all to cars. I am super excited about just going to that and seeing my friends there, but also like, I want to bring all of those people downtown where they can spread out and spend some money. Um, so like if we're, if we're bringing a thousand people someplace that could have an economic impact. So like, let's, let's make it happen. We uh, have comprehensive missing middle um, that's getting worked through the planning commission right now. It should come to council in 2022. There have been some things that we've, we've been able to move a little bit that, that I'm really happy about. Yeah, that's a lot to be proud of for sure. To close us out here, I want to ask, what advice do you have for people listening that want to step up and take action in their towns? Um, you said that you, you know, didn't anticipate this happening, didn't anticipate 
being on city council when you, you know, started thinking about that city park and wanting bike trails a, a while back. How would you suggest like other people allow themselves to go on that sort of journey to to make their community better? First, do what you can. And what you can may not seem like much. It may not seem like it's ever going to change anything. It may not. I mean, honestly, half the time, I feel like the things that I do are never going to change anything. Um, but, but I mean, the first step is, is showing, showing up. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to quote my wife here. She, the other day, like wrote some things down. That's like, what's our family motto. She wrote down, show up, try hard and smile. And I love that. Just show up, do whatever you can and try to make the world a better place. Um, I'm also going to say that convincing people requires knowledge. So you need to learn everything you can. Um, I, I inhaled the Strong Towns website um, when I got started, but read, read books. I mean, Urbanist Twitter is amazing. Listen to people who disagree with you. Hear objections. Like you've got to flesh the hard things out because you'll get real objections to the things you care about from well-meaning people that, that you can't just you can't just say, oh, that doesn't matter or that's silly. You have to listen to them and you have to be able to engage with them. Um, if you want to change the status quo, you have to convince well-meaning people why. And if you don't understand it, you're not going to convince anybody of anything. The second thing I'd say is find your people. Like You can't change the world by yourself. And you might have certain talents, abilities, but your friends will have others in ways that you probably kind of suck at. Carrie is a really great example of this. Um, you know, when you run for office, you talk to a ton of people, and and I was no exception to that. But you're also kind of busy, and and I am ADHD as I'll get out, and I am terrible at organizing like an ongoing thing with people. That's just that's not where I'm at. But that's what Carrie can do. So I was out talking to a ton of people, and his organization gave me something I could invite people to do. Like I I could say, hey. Like, come check this out. This is where some of us who agree on a lot of these things meet and chat and get to know each other. You've got more people and more allies that care about doing the same things that you care about. And I mean, the side benefit is that like you'll meet some of the best friends you could ever ask for. So show up, learn what you can and find the people that want to do the same thing. And, you know, you'll you'll get some small wins and you'll probably get a lot more losses, but you'll have fun trying to make the world a better place with each other. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Mason Thompson, for being on the show today. Um, I'll make sure to share links to everything that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, just really appreciate the chance to talk with you and hear from hear your story. Well, hey, Rachel, thank you um, for, for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, then, and just thanks to the organization for everything that you guys are doing. I mean, really, I've, I've had Strong Towns just be a tremendous help for helping me understand how to speak about this to people and what, what needs to happen. So, so thank you as well. That's great. That's what we're here for. I just love Mason's attitude and his approach to things in his city. I also really appreciate that he is a dedicated supporting member of Strong Towns. Um, you heard him talk about the way that Strong Towns has been a great resource for him um, and that he kind of devoured it as a source of learning and knowledge. He talked about how important that knowledge is for making any sort of change in your community. If you have valued the knowledge and learning that happens when you encounter Strong Towns, whether on this podcast, in our webinars, and articles on our website, please consider becoming a member. 
You can do that by visiting strongtowns.org slash membership. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, y'all. We will be back with another episode next week. Take care. Thank you.